welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination, as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. Episode 5 of Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, is a man who has lived in both Maun and Kasani. He has been in Botswana for many years, selling the country to global audiences. He's the marketing director of Desert and Delta Safaris, lived for a while in Chobi Game Lodge. I've invited him today to come and talk to us about the Chobi, being the entire area, the whole reserve, including the Savuti. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome today, in my first face-to-face interview, still semi-lockdown quality, uh, but face-to-face, it gives me great pleasure to welcome James Wilson. Thank you for joining me, James. Thank you very much. So, James, in order for the audience to get to know you a little bit better, would you give me a brief background on how you got to be involved in tourism in Botswana and, and what brought you to where you are now? I actually discovered Botswana quite late in my life, but I've always known about it and it's always been on my periphery. So my mother is South African, my father is British, and I was brought up in Australia, go figure. But I did finish high school in South Africa and although I lived in Europe um, after that, having traveled all over the place and trying to figure things out, I always used to come back and visit my, my mother in South Africa, but always wanted to go somewhere else. So we would go and explore Mozambique, Namibia, places like these. And Botswana was the one place that I'd always wanted to go to. I went to school with a lot of kids from Botswana at high school and kept in touch with them. And then for some reason, I had a lot of friends who ended up living in Botswana after school. So there was a a definite draw Mm -hmm. for me. And when I decided, it's funny, the longer you're away from growing up in Africa, or should I say, if you love Africa and you're taken away from it, you always, the, the desire gets stronger and stronger. And I didn't, you know, I'm not a citizen of South Africa or anything. So it wasn't my first port of call. I wanted, to, if I wanted to go back and live in, and, 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 and get a career in, in Africa, I wanted to be somewhere a bit more wild and remote. So Botswana seemed the perfect place to it. So long story short, I spoke to a few people, asked for jobs and managed to find a job with Desert and Delta and working up at Chobi Game Lodge. They basically wanted me located there and to give my 100% focus mm-hmm. on that place. So my first visit to Chobi was actually my interview mm-hmm. to go and live there. And just to give everyone listening to this a bit of an idea on exactly what where Chobi Game Lodge is, can you just give us a, a sort of brief intro into where, where Chobi Game Lodge is placed in the Chobi? Right. Well, the Chobe district, or for let's call it Chobe National Park for argument's sake, it's located right up in the northeast mm-hmm. of Botswana, right right up where Chobe is actually quite f- famous for this stretch of river where four countries meet. So you have the, the end of the Zambezi region of Namibia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Botswana, they all meet. So mm-hmm. it really tells you that it's you know, that the, the Chobi is tucked right up in the northeast. Mm-hmm. And the lodge um, 
that I was working at, Toby Game Lodge, it's around about 40 minutes from Kasani, which is effectively your gateway to the Chobe region. So like Mound is the gateway to the Okavango Delta, Kasani is your gateway to the Chobe area. So a lot of people who visit will either start in Mound and work their way up south to north, or sometimes they'll come in to Kasani or from Victoria Falls. But the lodge I was living at, uh, Chobe Game Lodge, was in, in the park, so it was quite a cool little spot. It's been around for like for years. It was, I think, the first five-star lodge mm-hmm. ever to be built in, in the country in the early 70s. And so that's why it's got its fortunate location inside the park. There are no other lodges in the park in that area, are there? Not if you if you consider Chobe being the Chobe sort of the Chobe riverfront yeah. or the waterfront, then absolutely, yeah, it is the only one inside the park. Um, but, you know, there's areas around where you've got the Chobe Reserve and you've got the Chobe Enclave. So each area kind of has its own, you know, um, uniqueness, I guess you could say, but certainly is a massive advantage, you know, being in the park. And it was a privilege to really have the best of both worlds because I was living in a lovely lodge in what is an epic ecosystem in the national park. But I wasn't like like you living and managing a camp where you're a little bit more remote. You can't exactly just jump in your Land Cruiser and be in town and have a beer. That that yeah. I could do. Uh, how long were you living in, in Game Lodge? Uh, oh, I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, nearly seven years. Okay. Yeah. And from time. there? From from Chobe, I went to Mount, mm-hmm. where we are now. Yeah. How many years is it in Botswana altogether then? Nine. That's awesome. Mm. And... Another one of the DDS lodges is in the Chobe, and that's in Savuti. Um, do you spend a fair bit of time there as well? Are you obviously not as familiar with it as Chobe Game Lodge, but you're familiar with the Savuti area too? Uh, absolutely. It was the most accessible mm-hmm. place for me to jump in my car and go and spend weekends and long weekends. Savuti is a sensational little area. You know, I guess it is, as you said, it's all part of Chobe National Park but it's almost its own ecosystem in its own right. And uh, and I got to see it when it first started getting water back again. So totally different from the Chobe waterfront or riverfront area in that it's got a lot of water there all year round. So Vuti, over the decades since records began, has had this sort of channel of water come in and go over the years. No one exactly knows when this will come. And so seeing it with water coming back when it had been dry from like 1983 all the way up until 2010, it was transforming the place. Mm. And so my first visits in getting familiar with that area were as this water was transforming the place. And yeah, it's if you ask anyone who, who knows Botswana well and has had the privilege to go in and out of Savuti for years and years, they'll all tell you how much they love it because somehow this mystery of the place it lends itself to drama and you know water comes and big herds of buffalo and elephants will be attracted to the place but then of course water disappears again and the predators have all followed all the herbivores and so forth so suddenly there's you know limited bits of water lots of herbivores lots of predators so that's where this sort of insane rivalry starts occurring and just produces incredible sightings and obviously the Savuti is not just the channel it's the channel and the marsh it's obviously through the spoken word hard to describe places like this and it's much easier to to look at a photograph but if you 
if someone was saying, well, what's what's the marsh? What does that look like? Can you try and sort of explain that to? It's well, essentially, it's a big open grassland. It's funny. I've <laughs> I've hosted many visitors to Botswana, travel specialists. Sometimes it's not easy because the travel specialists that come on trips with you, they can be quite, um, they're very experienced travelers and they've come with a mission. They want to understand every dynamic and every aspect of the trip. And sometimes they've traveled all over Africa. So, you know, whereas your first time visitor to Botswana, they're going to be wowed mm-hmm. by absolutely everything. And sometimes Savuti's name, mm-hmm. its reputation becomes, you know, um, hard to live to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I remember one travel specialist with me had heard so much about the Savuti Marsh. I don't know what he had in his mind uh, envisaged, but um, he kept on looking around going, but this is not a marsh. (laughs) So when you ask me to describe it, um, it's not what everybody would expect a marsh to be because essentially it is dry at the moment. But because it's loads of minerals from the floodwaters have been deposited there over the years, it's nice rich grasslands so you can envisage sort of your typical african kalahari bushveld and then this big huge open grassland spreads out as far as the eye can see and it produces again amazing sightings possibly one of you know the, the better areas to go to in your green season so in the in the rainy season uh, around about december january february march you can expect to see big herds of um, zebras pulling through there, wildebeest, um, and amazing um, carmine bee eaters. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things is watching the carmine bee eaters, beautiful pink birds, swoop down on each side of the vehicle because they're actually, as you drive your vehicle along the road, you're exposing and flicking up locusts and insects, and they'll, they'll hover you sometimes one hand distance from your vehicle, and it's, it's, a, it's amazing. So, And then, of course, you know, it can fill up with water, and it did um, periodically over between 2010 and 2015. Mm-hmm. It hasn't filled up with water since then. But as you say, we're seeing the benefits of that water now. Mm. Well, how did Savuti handle the 2019 drought? Was it was the marsh empty? I mean, was it was it no no growth, or was there still some grass left at the end of last year? Mm. It was. Bleak. It mm. was, I think, the 2019... Look, the, the fortunate thing about Savuti is that it is sustained, the whole entire area is sustained by waterholes, artificial mm. waterholes that are pumped partly by um, private lodges and the majority of them by the um, Department of Wildlife. Mm. So, you you know, you, you're never going to have a mass exodus of game if the entire area has dried up completely. But... The rains, although they were low that season before the 2019 drought, it still was enough to produce grasses in the area. So you'd find that although the nutritional grasses were quite depleted, it was still a lot, hell of a lot better than the surrounding areas around Savuti because, yeah, that whole central Chobe area and south down to Mababi, I mean, it was, it was tough going for all the wildlife. So yeah. it still supported phenomenal game viewing right throughout. And as I said earlier, You can expect a lot of intense rivalry when things get really dry and and in Savuti because there's just limited water, limited food, and it's intense. And in terms of the marsh, 
Uh, is there a road network through the marsh or is it on the periphery of the marsh? How much time, if someone's in Savuti, how much time are they going to spend, spend on the marsh? Uh, yeah, well, that's a, good, that's a good question. There are a couple of roads which dissect the the marsh, but remember, it is a, it's a national park, mm-hmm. so your off-roading is not permitted. So you will spend a lot of time zigzagging sort of in and out of the periphery of the marsh and then drive right across the, the middle at several sort of points along the marsh area. The marsh, the marsh itself, I don't want to undersell it, but of course, I think what, what people really love about Savuti is there's a whole bunch of little areas that you can explore, which ends up, I think, adding to the lure of the entire area. One of my favorite drives will be driving along the dry riverbed, because once the channel dries, the wildlife department turn that most of it or a lot of it into road networks. And that forms a sort of this incredible little producers, I don't for some reason, amazing predator sightings because they mm-hmm. can obviously hide in there, but like the Luangwa kind of area. Um, yeah, so you so driving in and out of these channels, dry riverbeds, always produces such cool sightings. And that's why I like sort of diving into the marsh, then coming out, then coming in and then coming out. And yeah, it's good fun. And then the Savuti is, is unique in Botswana in the fact that it has hills. Yes. <laughs> so as you say, once again, another landscape feature that's different from um so as you you can have all these different experiences on one game drive you can have marsh you can have the channel itself and and then the hills anything particular to note about the hills that's yes if you if you get lost head for the hill because when you first start exploring on your own in botswana like i did and i'll i'll be the first one to admit i'm you know not i'm not like a lot of people who've grown up in the bush so i had to learn a lot of the stuff the hard way or by asking other people and I remember um, I was on a bit of a mission and I bumped into a film crew who taught me, if you lost, Jemez, just head for the hills because generally, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it might be the right direction, it generally leads you to that main road that leads down mm-hmm. to Mount. So, yeah, that, that's a, it's a nice beacon um, for you. And as you said, yeah, because basically there are no other landmarks of a high variety in, in, in Botswana. And then also, yeah, there's a couple of them you can climb up. Goha Hills is, um, has a lodge actually on in on top of one of these hills, and the one the main one that you would visit in that sort of main Savuti area that's close to the marsh um, has some rock paintings mm-hmm. that you can walk up. So it's about depending on your level of fitness, um, seven or eight minutes to okay. sort of clamber up the rocks. And there's a really cool couple of uh, Bushman paintings, and yeah, they date back thousands of years, which always just completely blows me away. You mentioned the predators follow the, the herbivores. Any particular predators that Savuti would be known for? Yeah, it's the star of the show always, the lions. Mm-hmm. There's a big pride out there called the Marsh Pride. Uh, there's also one in East Africa, probably el- elsewhere in <laughs> southern and East Africa called the Marsh Pride. If you are familiar with the Nat Geo and the BBC documentaries out there, they kind of centred around this marsh pride of lions, I think at one point in excess of about 20. Don't know what the latest is in terms of the dynamics of the younger boys, but the the main male there um, called uh, Sekakama has been dominant male there since I can remember, which is quite unusual. So we got, we're going back, you know, close on 10 years, and he's a phenomenal lion, this guy. So brutal, powerful, um, just 
unrelenting in terms of uh, his kingdom there. So your sightings there with with the big pride of lion are quite impressive. And these lions are also famous for taking down elephants. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think you probably why seen the film them. why the film guys like hanging out there it makes for pretty epic epic sights. Yeah. Yeah, not pleasant to see and be around. Is it still happening frequently? I know um, the the frequency of killing larger herbivores like the hippos and the lion and the elephants it often ties with environmental stress. So, is it is it something that is happening with regularity at the moment, or is it really a special experience if you are, happen to be there and they're on a on an elephant carcass? It, it's an, an exceptional sighting. Yeah, it, there was a time where you, you're quite right. It was happening on a regular basis. There's also the leopards. The leopard sightings definitely were not that impressive when I first went. So around about 2010, my first trip down there, and then they started popping up all over the place. Exactly why I'm not entirely sure. But what is interesting there is that there are leopards there that learned how to predate on catfish. And they enjoy the rocks, you know, mm-hmm. those hills. Of course, the puppies, yeah. They enjoy, um, you know, stashing them, their, their cubs away in there. Being a bit more exposed means that your sightings of them are quite impressive and quite mm-hmm. regular, maybe more than some other areas where they might be more prolific, but you miss them. But because it's so, because it offers water and scrubland and grassland and Kalahari bushfire. It's like all, it brings in quite a lot of interesting mm-hmm. wildlife all in one area, you know. So like you're, we even see elant quite a bit mm-hmm. there, but, you know, definitely a lot of roan and sable, which are beautiful, striking antelopes. And that's a little bit harder to see in some mm-hmm. of the other areas of, of, of Botswana. Cheetah sightings from time to time out on the Savuti Marsh, they like that mm-hmm. open area. Every area has its own dynamic, and um, it, it certainly adds adds to the mystery. That's actually mm-hmm. Savuti's name. The word Savuti um, means it's it's an old, I think, by word, but it means unpredictable. Oh wow! And mysterious, or okay. because no one ever really knew. We don't know, as you quite mm-hmm. rightly point out. Um, you know, certain areas are a bit more reliable, but no idea what it's going to be this time next year. Mm-hmm. And that's and and that's its joy and the wildness of it and it's something I haven't really discussed in any of the previous episodes and I don't know if you know obviously someone who knows what's one and well we take it for granted but it's I've never actually highlighted this that there are no fences so when we talk about variation and we talk about movement on wildlife we you know obviously we've got the buffalo fences but these buffalo fences on the edge of a huge huge area and within that area there is the freedom for wildlife to move according to the environment and that means that there's this unpredictability um and then also savuti's got this great offers a great contrast with the delta because of this dry riverbed this dry channel this this these hills the rocks the vegetation's different the open marsh so then um, the more well-known parts of Chobe, which is what we started talking about right at the beginning, the Chobe Riverfront, which is what most people think of when they think of Chobe. Chobe National Park's a vast, vast reserve. The Chobe Riverfront is what gets abbreviated to Chobe. It's named after the river. The river is the Chobe River. What is it that the Chobe offers and why has it got this name that makes people straight away just think that sounds like where I want to go? What is it about the Chobe that draws people? Those who do their research and being familiar with it, one animal that is iconic and famous in the Chobe area is the elephant. So if you want to put it in perspective a little bit, so you're looking at Botswana's sort of home to about 
one third of Africa's entire elephant population. And you're probably looking about at about a third of those elephants in Botswana or more, depending on the season, are in the Chobe Riverfront area. So you're talking epic numbers of elephants, you know, somewhere around, depending on where you put the border, 60, 70,000 elephants. So it is incredible. The, the area has become synonymous with just seeing big, huge mega herds of elephants roaming around the floodplains, coming into the water, uh, swimming, all this kind of thing. And what really sets it aside from the rest of I'll say Botswana for now, is that you get this intensity and this volume of game on the boat. Whereas, you know, you can expect to see large volumes of game and elephants across Saruti or Lemyati or wherever you go. But to be sitting on a boat and to see these animals come down in, before your eyes, um, seasonally you can get that experience in Lemyati. But in terms of a year-round experience, there's nowhere else like it in, in Africa, I would I would confidently say. And that is the biggest draw card from coming to the area. Another reason why Chobe has become well known is because of its accessibility. So with the rest of, of Botswana sort of south of Kasani and north of Maun, you're talking significant distances to drive there, whether you're on a mobile or a, or a self-drive or, or flying on a light aircraft. Whereas you can get to Kasani from Victoria Falls within an hour or let's just say an hour to be safe. So really, really easy to get to and, and, and it's not going to break the bank in terms of visiting there if you were to sort of travel to Victoria Falls and felt like you wanted to go across to, to Chobe. And I think the partnership of Kasani and Victoria Falls works very well, particularly if people are on a budget, whether that's a financial budget or a time budget, because they you can see these two great sites a day apart. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. You are going to get almost like all of Botswana in one simple accessible experience because it does offer the water experience and the land-based experience and both produce amazing sightings because other than the elephant and the accessibility, it supports huge volumes of other game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean mm -hmm. buffalo herds are like there's no tomorrow. Uh, we do get lovely sightings uh, the drier times of the year of sable antelope, mm -hmm. some of the nicest sightings you'll find in Botswana, um, up in Chobe. Roan sometimes, the zebras move in there during the green season. So it's, it's and, and lots of predators, so mm -hmm. it's and good, reliable sightings. And it is because it is this big volume of water um, that is there all year round. So um, because a lot of that water comes in from the Zambezi, floods over the Zambezi floodplains and fills up the Chobe River. So we're actually getting water from both the Kwando or Kuando Chobe system and the Zambezi system from two sides. So that's it's an it's inevitable that it's it's going to support a lot of game and and of course it's been a national park since mm -hmm. the, since independence since the late sixties. So in a time when hunting was going on in various places all around and including Botswana, Chobe Riverfront was a was a sanctuary was mm -hmm. a national mm -hmm. park, mm -hmm. and so it's it's ended up being this remarkable safe haven and beautiful ecosystem for these mega herds of elephants. Is, is seasonality then important with Chobe, considering the water's permanent, or does it mean that seasonality in terms of when people choose to travel there is less important? Yeah, another really good question, and it's one that I've, I get asked 
all the time is when's the best time to come and because the area does support such a huge number of elephants seasonality plays less of a role in terms of seeing large numbers of elephants than it would do elsewhere <laughs> having said that i think one of the key unique experiences in 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 the in visiting chobi i would like to sort of definitely see more people kind of marketed it so to speak is the crossings of elephants mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's something that become very famous in east africa with the the crossings yeah exactly that's a very good point yeah yeah I mean, I having experienced it, watching an elephant swim and use its trunk as a snorkel, it is a moment. It's a moment that sticks with you. It is an incredibly unique experience to see that. It is, and if you can imagine the vast number of elephants, and they they swim across in these herds of seventy, eighty. We've seen a big herd of over a hundred individuals crossing the river, and if you go between going back to your original question mm-hmm. of seasonality. typically depending on the year uh, around about july the first crossings start okay. to take place and what they're doing is these elephants are going from the chobi national park side of botswana swimming across the river to the grassy flood plains on the other side on the namibian side or on one of the islands mm-hmm. um closer to kasani which supports because of the flood waters that come in from zambezi they they support really quite decent nutritious grasses when a lot of the vegetation has been depleted mm-hmm. close to the mm-hmm. riverfront because of this um very large number of elephants so they're actually swimming across the river not only you know they swim they come down they drink and then they're heading across and that happens between july and it sort of becomes a little bit more intense as this as the dry season um reaches its guts in sort of september and october and then almost as if like the click of a switch as soon as the rains come they sort of move away and that would probably be the most tricky time to see mm-hmm. big herds of elephants in chobi is when those first rains have arrived but used to traditionally you, you really start to kick in in, in october mm-hmm. but over the last 10 years it's sort of becoming a bit later and later um so you know it's just like anything it's like imagine if you if you booked a, a holiday in the in a tropical island in the Maldives but you just happen to be there at the time when there's a little tropical storm it's just yeah you can't predict these things you can go you can look at seasonality but because of that that window is quite large when the first rains so i'd always typically the rates for traveling to Botswana are already going down at that mm-hmm. time of the year it compensates for it yeah it compensates for it and also i would encourage people to go a bit longer mm-hmm. so if you come to chobi and you're a bit unlucky because you don't see the epic numbers of elephants because the first rains come you know your trip will be rewarded later when you go down to the delta or savuti or for that matter the kalahari yeah, or you seeing the new impala lambs and the chobi um So you know there's other things to see in that time and of course then the river's not full of boats and you if you're interested in getting photos without a boat in the background you're going to have a better chance of doing that at that time of year because it's not chock a block of, of true yeah. and that's the thing as well is that once those rains have come and sort of settled in typically the elephants start to move back mm-hmm. so a lot a, a big you know um mistake a lot of people make is they'll try and avoid the entire green season and i would i would really um discourage people from that because often you'll find once you get, you get to january february march there's there's vegetation all over botswana it just gets transformed and you'll find that the elephants will actually start to come back 
once it's all settled in and they're far more playful mm-hmm. and they're more relaxed playing in the mud and they'll still come to the water and, and, and often what you see during those months between sort of January, February and April, May until things start to get a bit more intense is they swim a lot, they play mm-hmm. and young bulls jumping on top of each other and diving in and out of the water it's they honestly like they look sometimes like sea creatures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how well they swim and how well they enjoy being in the water and that doesn't really happen later on in the dry season because they're stressed mm-hmm. and they've come to the water for one thing and mm-hmm, they've come mm-hmm. to eat drink and then they have to move 20 30 kilometers inland to get to the better grazing so yeah, exactly. And of course, in the summer months, the sunsets, and then, you know, there's nothing better than a sunset while you're on the water. So you've got that light reflected all around you. And that's really epic. So in terms of boating, generally, there's a bit of a do a game drive activity once a day and do a boat once a day. What do you think is the preferred time to be on a game drive? And what is the preferred time to be on a boat in the Chobe? Hmm. Okay, well, the the formula answer is typically people will go out on early morning game drive because predators are a little bit more active in the early hours of the morning. You can obviously venture further away before you get hungry and want to come back and have breakfast or, or lunch. And and then, of course, as you mentioned, the sunset. So being on the boat and um, watching the sunset and obviously you're not really on the boat to track predators like mm-hmm. you're on a game drive. So what you're on the boat for is to wait until lots of the wildlife comes down to the river. So they're not going to come and drink in the early hours in the morning when it's nice and cool. They're going to come down to the river in the afternoon to drink. So naturally, being on the boat in the late afternoon and a game drive in the morning, that's when you're going to get your best mix of the overall game viewing. Having said that, though, I been on many morning game uh, boat cruises and a morning boat cruise offers a different perspective you're not going to see the big volumes of game that's for sure i can tell you that but you will pick up fresh um, light so you've got incredible the morning light's different from the evening light it's it's a it's a much it's a much sharper light and you will have a lot more freedom to spend time photographing birds small reptiles crocodiles and you're bound to see some planes game out on the open floodplains in the morning and catching that light. So the volume of game is almost to its detriment in terms of getting a variety of like photos. Because how can you how can you sit on an afternoon boat cruise photographing a giant kingfisher when there's 150 elephants on the floodplain, a herd of buffalo, elephants sure. crossing behind you? It's just not naturally you won't do it. So. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do have that opportunity to go into the water in the morning, it'll give you a completely different perspective of what is an outstandingly beautiful river mm-hmm. system. And it'll be a quieter river. And it'll be quieter, yeah. And, in and terms of the boat volume. Completely. And that and that that area has become synonymous with photography. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. any of you anyone's listening who who fancy themselves as a professional photographer or is just keen to to take nice wildlife pictures you can't come to Botswana and not go to Chobe because being on the water is on the river there it's a still river so the boats give you provide you stability you know there's not a strong current there's Mm -hmm. it's very rarely choppy 
and you're at eye level generally mm-hmm. to all of the game. So if it's not a big herd of buffalo or elephants, it'll be a kingfisher perched perfectly at mm-hmm. eye level. And what you'll find that's different, your wildlife experience being on the boat and seeing all this game is that more often than not, the wildlife is coming into your space. Mm-hmm. Whereas typically when you're on safari, on a game drive vehicle, what are you doing? You're tracking game mm-hmm. and you're looking for it and then you're approaching it carefully. Mm-hmm. So however carefully you do it, you know. You're still going into their space, yeah. And more often than not, my best experiences on the Chobe River, which I almost every time I'm on it, it's it's amazing because they you, you, you sit quietly or you're drifting and they'll come down to the river and they'll cross in front of you or come down and drink and stuff. And, yeah, it's... It's a prolific gambling area, but mm-hmm. also it's been a safe sanctuary for so many mm-hmm. years. So the wildlife is quite confiding. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not stressed. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. re- they relax. So you you you're probably getting those, as you say, close up experiences more than anywhere else, especially of the big game, than you would in most places in Africa. I mean, essentially, it sounds like the answer is do more than one day in the Chobe and try and alternate the timings of your experiences so that you get a bit of everything and you get a morning boat and you get an afternoon boat and you get a morning game drive and you get an afternoon game drive and just try and mix it up as much as you can. And obviously the longer you're there, the more opportunities you get to to do that. Completely. But a lot of people, I see a lot of lodge operators in the area try and get out on the river um, during even the middle of the day mm-hmm. as well, just because you're maximizing your time. A lot of people, and you've heard it a million times they're exhausted when they're on safari because mm-hmm. they're up early and they're out and they're this and they're that. But that's entirely what you're there for. Sleep when you're home and get out there as much as you can. And, and of course, the longer you stay, the more times you can go out on the mm-hmm. river. But I, I would encourage people visiting to Chobe that you should, you should maximize your Chobe River experience, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing a greater trip in Botswana. Don't so focus on the river. Focus on the river if you can. In terms of the rest of Chobe, I mean, we've got Savuti, we've got Chobe waterfront, you've got a range of accommodation, a lot of it clustered around Kasani, and then you've got the Ngorma Gate area, which is the road border into Namibia, and then west of that, we've got the Lenyanti in, in the enclave area, which I feel almost becomes its own region and, and deserves its own episode. Without, other than that sort of cluster around the river and, and Savuti, the rest of Chobe, how familiar are you with it? I mean, is there anything worth commenting on? In, I mean, absolutely, huge spaces out there, but anything else worth worth mentioning for somebody to visit? Yeah, completely. As you said, you know, when people talk about Chobe, often it's it's that Chobe riverfront, but it's massive park, um, an area which um, I've only been to a couple of times. But has now a, a, got a lodge. There is the um, Nochatsa. Mm-hmm. So if you sort of if you travel uh, inland along the Chobe River, and then you were to travel due south for two or three hours, you would find your your, your yourself in this Nochatsa area, which is again completely different. It is um, that's where you'll go out and see huge herds of elant mm-hmm. and sable and roan. So it's a it's a very dry area that's sustained by these seasonal pans of water so when we have the rain remember we mentioned earlier that a lot of the game will move away from the riverfront and they'll head down to these big open plains and pans areas because some of these deep water holes will will sustain water right up until the middle or towards the end of the dry season Mm -hmm. 
possibly not your first time safari destination of choice, but for those who have been to Botswana a few times and want to head to somewhere that's off the beaten track and that's going to offer an experience which is, yeah, it's kind of fringes with Savuti. So a big contrast to the volume of visitors at the Chobe waterfront and not that far away. And then you've got this this isolated environment that, you know, as you said, you've only been there a handful of times and you lived not very far away. So mm. really off the beaten track. Completely, yeah. And a, a nice, you know, complementary stay to mm-hmm. somewhere where you've got water and, mm-hmm. and river. The other area which, if you're looking for a sort of place to stay where it's relatively close to the main Chobe Riverfront area, but a little bit more off the beaten track, so if you didn't want to stay at one of the high-end lodges or within one of the, the many hotels and lodges in Kasani, there's quite a few nice spots along the, the Lusuma Valley. Mm-hmm. So the border of Zimbabwe and Botswana sort of runs in a straight line along this incredible valley. Um, and we used to go and explore there a lot when we were living in Chobe. And even though it's not part of the national park, it's uh, sort of bordering two amazing national parks. You've got Chobe National Park and then Hwangi in Zimbabwe. So there's a sort of corridor and there's a lot of game movement between these places. And it's quite a nice remote area that not only gives you access to go to the Chobe River and the national park main gate, but also a little place where you can just chill out and have a little bumble there. And has its own game has its own game there. And then you go further south, you start to get towards uh, Panamatenga mm-hmm. and Kuzuma and those areas. And and there, they also offer, like, from Kuzuma, you can go out um, onto the grasslands of those local plains and stuff like that. And during certain times of the year in those waterholes, it's, uh, it's full of elephants out there, especially these big bull elephants that move between Kwangi and um, Chobi. And it's quite impressive out there as well. I think that's what I find quite interesting about Kasani Town. Um, when I first came to Botswana, I was working for a company whose head office was in Kasani, not Maun. So I got to know Kasani before I got to know Maun. The fact that you're seeing, as you're driving from the airport down into town, you come down that hill and you're looking over the floodplains and you can see elephants in the distance or the warthogs behind choppies or whatever it might be, elephants at the sea. Um, and, you know, knowing that even you might even see a buffalo between Kazangula and Kasani town, you get a sense that the town's really integrated with wildlife. And I think that that, to me, is really exciting. Obviously, over since, since I first knew it 14 years ago, it's grown a lot and there's been a lot of development. But as you say, you don't have to be in the Chobe. You don't have to be right on the at the Chobe gate to be experiencing the wildlife. You can be in Lusuma. It's that sense that this idea that the fences are not there is roads through these wild areas and wildlife really live in this, these areas and permeate everything. So you don't need to be smack bang and center to, to be getting access to wildlife. And now they have these wildlife corridors mm, going exactly. through going through the town. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, it's awesome. Herds of elephants to be going through, like you said, Choppy's supermarket and the mechanic workshop mm. in the middle of this township comes through a herd of elephants yeah, quite a awesome. quite an amazing experience mm-hmm. yeah and obviously Kasani has grown and has developed and um the Namibian side has also started to develop there's quite a few properties popping up on the other side of the river I've met travelers who have said they loved Chobe but they found it quite hard on the eye in terms of it's not like the Okavango um it is dry and it is harsh and you've got the fact, like you mentioned, that the elephants are passing 
through that area repeatedly over and over again. So the vegetation takes a hammering and it's not pretty and it's not leafy unless it's this time of year and it's at the end of the rains. So I think that that's also maybe an expectation just for people to realize that, that at the end of the day, it offers amazing wildlife um, and makes it a harsh landscape, the, the volume of wildlife. Is there any particular um, spot you recommend people do stay to get a slightly prettier experience? Difficult question to sort of give a simple answer to, but if you work from west to east of the riverfront, um, there's two or three nice lodges on the western part. You've got Ngorma Safari Lodge, which I think is a five-star small lodge on the western side. And it's quite quite pretty there because you've got quite a high vantage point so that it sits on the edge of, 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 of where the, the river bank of the Chopi kind of increases a little bit. Mm-hmm. You've got lovely views of the floodplains there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you mentioned earlier, Chobi Game Lodge, where I lived for ages, was it's inside the park. So it's quite pretty there because, as you mentioned, a lot of the time when you're at another lodge, you're sometimes in and around an area which is not as scenically beautiful, whereas we're lucky there at the lodge we used to, walk down to the boardwalk and overlook this incredible floodplain mm-hmm. and have all the game around you and have that advantage of being able to nip out into the park early in the morning or stay out a bit later, which really helped. Um, but then, you know, if you don't have much of a budget, you know, and you want to stay at a charming little bed and breakfast in Kasani, like my father, when he used to come and visit, adored a little place called the Old House mm-hmm. in Kasani. And because it was just a classic little like gathering of locals and and and, and tourists, and they serve good pizza, great pizza, <laughs> beer on tap, um, lovely little walkway down mm-hmm. to the river. And they've got that nice deck there now. Exactly. So uh, each to their own. And then, as we mentioned earlier, there's the places along the Lusuma Valley where you can we can camp. But also not to forget, if you wanted to do a mobile safari. Like the mobile industry here in Botswana is sometimes split. Mm-hmm. Some some of the mobile safari operators will not come to the Chobi Riverfront because it's not as remote and exclusive as the other national parks and game reserves of Botswana, which is to a certain extent very true. But others uh, will not do a mobile safari without going to Chobi because you've got some lovely little sites mm-hmm. in the park. If you do a bit of research and... I, I always encourage people to book with someone who has quite in-depth knowledge of, mm-hmm. of a place and knows it intently and has been to it several times or very familiar with it because you're much more likely to get the best knowledge of what mm-hmm. what what is, is going to suit you. But but Chobi, you know, I'll be the first one to admit, you know, it's, 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 it's not what I first expected in Botswana, as you mentioned, um, the plains and Okavango Delta, um, but... If you go there and you you, you have a, a nice place to stay and a, and a great experience, there's nothing like it in Africa. Mm-hmm. It's, it is absolutely outstanding. And don't let the volume of different hotels and lodges in the area put you off. Mm-hmm. Like that's the biggest shame for me is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if someone says, don't go to the Toby Riverfront because it's, it's too busy, then I'm, I'm just like, too busy for what? Yeah, and compared to busy what? And compared <laughs> to what exactly, and you can't, you can't, you know, its accessibility has meant that it is a mm-hmm. bit more developed, 
But I guarantee you, if you work out the right places to go, you can get a, a very nice, quiet, exclusive experience. Well, I think you've given a lot of tips today on exactly how to craft your Trovi experience so that it is a little bit more personal and it feels a little less uh, mass tourism and a little bit more custom. And I think that that's awesome. So thanks really, thanks very much, James. That's really awesome. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to my next Trovi trip. Me too. As soon as they open our... COVID-19 border. I'm there like a bear. Okay, awesome. And clearly, after our chat today, I also need to sort out getting to Savuti. I mean, after having lived in this country for as long as I have, it's really... It's really not on that I haven't been. But I think that that's also, again, just that's the remoteness of Savuti. It's smack bang in the middle. And that means it's not that easy to get to. And so that's that's why I haven't I haven't been mm. out there. Mm. Awesome. Are you ready for the snapshot session? No. <laughs> You've shared all your wisdom. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know your questions are going to be tough. <laughs> Right, well, the first one is the easiest of the lot, I think. What is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why? Um, I've listened to your other podcasts and I heard other people give several, but I'm going to give you my, my most useful one at the moment, especially. Um, it's a buff. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought like you'd it. be impressed with I that I like one. it very, I like it. So a buff, if you don't know it, is, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's basically a, a scarf, um, for want of a better word. And, but it can double tube up. Tube of fabric. Tube of fabric, yeah. yeah. And it's I've got an awesome one which is keeps you warm when it's cold and it's not too hot when it gets a bit hotter in the day and doubles up as a beanie when you have a haircut like mine. Um, it's less generously covered with hair. It's quite <laughs> useful for your head to stop sunburn. And it can work as a mask during the COVID-19 yeah, exactly, restrictions. Exactly. A buff's a really great one, and it's such a small thing. Mm. It is, I mean, it is so easy. Um, all right, next one. Which one destination would you recommend a first-time visit in Botswana? If I didn't say Chobi, it would be completely wrong, right? <laughs> no, in all honesty, I think we covered it well. Like, it is it is accessible. And, you know, if shame on you if you've been to Botswana and never been to the Chobi River. But it's not too late to go. And if, yeah, it's a great starting and ending point as well, mm-hmm. as well, because of the, the, you know, where it's located mm-hmm. right up in the northeast. It is an iconic place. In yeah, itself. that's something that we actually we didn't really touch on in, in, in the bulk of the interview. But that is a very valid point. If you are traveling from overseas and you are wanting to sort of rest and recuperate or an R as we call it. Um, after your long haul, before you get into the early mornings, which you touched on, that people call the safaris exhausting, the Chobis are very nice, gentle entry into that. You're going to tick a lot of the animals you're looking for off um, at the beginning of your trip, so it takes a bit of the pressure off later on in your safari where you can start enjoying the smaller things. And it just is a very slow, gentle start. You're not spending hours of the day on a vehicle. You can mix up with a bit of the boat to variety to make a variety and um yeah as you say a really good a really good starting point into into mm. Botswana and I'm sorry we didn't um sort of comment on that earlier so I'm glad that, that that's come up now mm. all right the tricky one one resource book podcast website even travel specialists uh everyone coming to Botswana should know about full disclosure I I, I don't have an answer for this question but I've got a couple of thoughts um like first of all don't over google Mm-hmm. I'm honestly speaking like uh, it's just it's overwhelming and as you as you said I'm allowed to say I, I choose a resource 
in terms of put effort into finding a, a travel company that's resonates with you you know and there's a little, there's so many african it's not the destination you, you you book with your average high street or you know mainstream travel company that might book a trip to the maldives for you mm-hmm. you need to speak to somebody that's going to provide you insider knowledge mm-hmm. so spend a bit of time you know if you're going to yeah. google anything that side of things and allow them to be to be you know give you their insight and provide the trip for you and and then don't over prepare best experiences for people on their first time to botswana will be those who don't really know too much of what mm-hmm. to expect mm-hmm. and then they can just be like blown away for the trip awesome i like that okay. i like that although i mean obviously the aim of this podcast is to educate people so listen to the podcast too <laughs> Whilst... that goes without saying <laughs> but don't over scrutinize your itinerary <laughs> yeah look there's books and all that like i okay. thought of different answers yeah. you know I, I when i was younger i i read the um Okavango. it was a, a beautiful um coffee table book mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s Bannister and johnson that's the one you know the book and it was it's i just used to uh, flick through that as a kid and i honestly have have always imagined and and how i didn't get to botswana earlier in my life mm-hmm. well probably my parents as well but yeah, i've always dreamed of it and that's that's the visually whether it's a book or the do- nature films or whatever mm-hmm. they they inspire people as a resource as well mm-hmm. yeah exactly so exactly get your dream on but don't worry too much about the details yep. choose somebody you trust to take care of that for you and just enjoy paging through sunsets. Mm. Uh, talking about sunsets, the next question. Your top sundowner destination or drink or piece of advice to get the most out of your sunset? Uh-huh. Well, anyone who knows me well and is listening to this will know exactly my answer. It's a place in the Chobi Riverfront called Puku Flats. It's um, one of the many floodplains which jut out um, the river sort of winds its way and you'll find that most people don't spend time venturing out onto these floodplains uh, two or three of them that I've become very well acquainted to over the years but my favorite was Puku Flats because it was really close to the lodge I was staying mm-hmm. at and once you drive out onto the road and there's a gazetted road out there that very few, few people will end up traveling on because all the game is already there by the river and the river surrounds the floodplain on either side. So it's almost like why go out onto this floodplain because everything is there in front of you. But often you head out there and you'll be surprised you go into these dips and there's just beautiful spots. And finally, after years of being there, they put a, a, a designated sundowner spot mm-hmm. there at Puku Flats. So I'll, I'll be there That's any it. day of the week. Yeah, it's beautiful. Golden grasses, beautiful rich sun, river in front of you, leadwoods popping around. It's so beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I've been asking this question as post-lockdown, but we are now a little bit more free to explore. So I'm not going to ask it in that format today. we ask it differently. If you had a weekend to explore locally, where would you go? Well, if you're asking me locally, like as in locally Chobi and keep it on point. I mean, I like I I definitely want to venture more down to the that loop down to Nohatsa and link it up to Savuti and go scratching around there with um with a tent, preferably before travelers are kind of back, so mm-hmm. we can go a little bit off the beaten track. I think that would produce some pretty pretty amazing experiences. 
my 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 post lockdown sort of biggest desire, funnily enough, is not is is more isolation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, like uh, isolation without walls. Yes, yes, <laughs> controlled isolation, and yeah, I, I plan to head out to the Kalahari mm-hmm. very soon before it gets too um, too dry and harsh, and and go out there probably out onto the pans when I, as soon as they're accessible. For me, that you know getting out and getting isolated in the bush with just two or three people or my wife or whatever that's 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 my my mission now and i think that the reason i have that question on the list is exactly this is because it's important for to me it's important that people are aware of the fact that there are so many gems out there and that's why you will, we hope you will never just be a first time visitor to botswana and you do come back because as Matt Copham said in episode four, as you travel, you get to meet people who are more experienced safari goers and they share their gems with you. But, you know, I'm talking to people who live here and we're sharing our gems. And the idea is that you can work out that just there are so many options because you've put today forward some options that nobody else has put forward yet and just highlights how there are these really awesome, awesome spots. And thank you so much for sharing where they are in the Chobe. It's a huge place. And um, being mound-based, as I say, I know Kasani a little bit, but being mound-based, Chobe tends to be a little bit of an unknown for me. So thank you so much for coming and sharing sharing your Chobe knowledge, James, and talking about what used to be your home. You're welcome. And uh, as I said, I love it very much. So it was an absolute pleasure to natter about it for ages. So thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. James Wilson, Marketing Director of Desert and Delta Safaris, in my first face-to-face interview. It certainly is a little bit different when you can look at each other and chat. I look forward to many more face-to-face interviews going forward. It's made the editing slightly more complicated and we are no longer in lockdown, so life's got a little bit busier again. And this uh, experience has become a little bit more challenging as a result of that. So I apologize for the delay in getting this episode out. And I think going forward two weeks is probably what it will end up being between episodes. Thank you so much for joining me once again on this journey. I hope that you found this episode informative, inspiring, and that you are like me, getting the cheap feet to get out there. Thank you once again for taking this journey with me. Please follow or subscribe on our social media pages, wherever you get your podcasts, so that you can be sure you don't miss another episode.